You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Hoy hoy, and welcome back to the 602 Club, Trek FM's local watering hole. And I'm so excited to be back here as we are continuing on M. Night Shyamalan's trilogy that started with Unbreakable, and now we continue with Split. And Christy, I don't know about you, but I was already tired of hearing Unbreakable, Split, and Glass uh, puns on Twitter. <laughs> and so um, I'm going to try to be as pun free as possible uh, on this podcast. That's a first. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm kidding. I just was, you know, uh, I'm just hoping we don't have any split opinions. Uh-huh. So, um, you know. No doing any splits yeah. during this episode. No, no, none of that. None of that. So absolutely none of that. It's all out of our system, folks. Are you trying to get away, et cetera? <laughs> oh my gosh that that part just cracked me up like oh my gosh that i can't wait to talk about him as an actor playing the role absolutely it, it just fantastic so yeah it'll be really exciting to get into that but before we do that you know help us out over on iTunes or Apple Podcasts help the show grow. Um, we only have 77 written reviews right now. And honestly, the best way to help the show is give us a star rating and a written review. And that helps people find the show. And so please do that for us. Um, it really makes a huge difference for people finding the show and helping it grow. You know, um, there are many podcasts out there of this ilk. And if you like the 602 Club and what we do here, please share that with everybody. You can also find us wherever you get your podcasts. So pretty much any place that you can get podcasts, any podcatcher, you can find us. So make sure you're downloading and subscribing uh, wherever you're getting your podcasts. And hit us up on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We've got the listeners-only discussion group, which is called the Babel Conference. That allows you to talk to listeners of TrekFM from all over the world in one place as we talk about everything that we're talking about here on TrekFM, not just the 602 Club, but all of the other shows. And then, of course, you can find us on the web at Trek.FM. And maybe you'd like to send us an email. So the best way to do that is to... Go to track.fm slash contact, choose a show, uh, and then choose the 602 Club. And then that email comes to Christy and I. And uh, last but not least, I just realized, you know, I didn't tell you how to get into the Babel Conference. It's on Facebook. Type Babel into the search field on, on Facebook. Or if you're on the website at trek.fm, you can click discussion on any of the menu bars and that would let you right in. So, uh, Christy, we talked a little bit last week um, about our expectations uh, kind of coming into the series. And if I recall correctly, and I think I do, is that neither of us has seen Split. Correct. And so, you know, I was wondering for you, had had you even seen trailers for this movie or anything before? I mean, and did you have any expectation whatsoever coming into this one? No, I actually hadn't seen any trailers or anything. Um, I don't know how I missed it because I did used to have cable, but we recently switched to streaming only and having better internet and no cable. 
So that may be why I didn't hear much about it before. Um, but it it was definitely a surprise. I thought that this was going to be a sequel to Unbreakable and continue on that story. Um, and I did stay away from any um, stuff last week until I just sat down and watched the movie. So I had no expectations going in, just thinking it was going to be a sequel to Unbreakable. What about you? So had you seen the the glass trailer though no so that you had and i you so you haven't seen the glass trailer no. either and now i kind of okay. want to go in dark so that i just allow myself to experience the whole thing so you know as we mentioned last week uh, with mike chandelaron making fun of me how i said i'd never watch this movie it was a trailer that just it just left me cold you know just it felt like the kind of movie that i wouldn't enjoy really watching or anything i don't tend to like strange horror type films and the trailer made it feel like that and so I just didn't watch it and and of course as I mentioned last week too I just I was on a place where M. Night Shyamalan couldn't do anything right um mm-hmm. you know so many of his previous films I just wasn't a fan of so you know if the trailer doesn't look good I, I'm not really compelled to go see it and so but I did hear and and I had it spoiled for me that Bruce Willis had a cameo at the end, so I knew this was Aww. connected to Unbreakable. So I already knew that going in, which made it interesting because there were a couple of times in the movie where I thought Bruce Willis maybe, uh, oh, maybe this is where he shows up. And then, of course, he doesn't show up until as the credits are mm-hmm. I did think it was interesting now that you mentioned that it, maybe you were thinking at some point that the cameo would be that he's going to save someone in this movie. Yes. Yep. But then it doesn't end up that way at all. So I'm sure by the time you got to that scene, you were going, good grief, where is he? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would I would say that was definitely the case uh, because I thought that he might come in at the end and, and like, you know, the, the whole thing was that he had been, you know, maybe tracking this guy or whatever and, and you know, brought it down to this. So Or that maybe Kevin and... uh Mr. Glass were working together or something. Yeah, I mean, I did. I had no idea. So, um, but anyway, I, I think kind of expectations wise, that's the only expectation I went in with was knowing that there would be this connection. And so, um, what I thought was really interesting, it just was doing a little bit of like kind of background research, and and I, I wondered, you know, kind of going in, knowing that would there. Was this something that he had in his mind all the time? Was this something that, you know, um, he just uh, just came up with later? And, and I was really interested to find out that Shyamalan actually had Kevin in early drafts of Unbreakable and pulls the character out because he just wasn't able to kind of balance that with the Unbreakable story. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think after reading that, I think he made the right choice because I don't feel like that would have been the right thing for Bruce Willis's character and to try and introduce this character and this story into that. I feel like he made a perfectly balanced movie there. If you would put Kevin in Unbreakable, I definitely feel like you would have unbalanced that movie completely. Oh, yeah, because they would be conflicting storylines. I mean, it's sort of like the hero's story in the way Unbreakable is as we know it versus the villain's story. I mean, you're really looking at it from two completely different perspectives and uh, the resolution being completely different. I feel like Unbreakable ends in a more 
positive way in the sense that you think that it's possible Bruce Willis's character can overcome this and that at least you know that Mr. Glass has been put away in an asylum. So it's sort of like something good came out of the situation. Whereas this movie, you kind of end feeling like, what is the moral of this story? (laughs) Are there many? Are there none? Is it that sometimes bad things happen and that's all you got? I don't know. No, absolutely. I mean, I'm right there with you uh, with that thought process. And I I think... You know, two, if you had put him in Unbreakable, you know, Unbreakable is such a perfect balance between the hero and the villain and the rise of both that if you had had a second kind of possible villain in there, you do it. Lots of superhero movies do sometime, you know, where they put too many villains Mm -hmm. in, you know, or too many characters that you're trying to follow. And and I just, again, I think you do a great job of making this separate, making it its own thing, but also being in the same universe, which, you know, I also think, you know, I, just thinking on that idea, now that we know that both of these are the same universe, this is a question that I just thought of, but it makes for a very strange universe when it comes to, like, heroes and villains. And I guess part of it seems very, very, very realistic in some senses and then very i don't i don't know um also very very dark in some ways mm-hmm. um yeah it's a very interesting take i guess on a superhero universe for sure kind of thinking through that a little bit like i don't know do you what do you think about that because i, I, I after this one i'm like Man, this leaves me in a real interesting position when we come to glass and it all comes together because mm. I guess there's a part of the universe that I I really enjoyed and then maybe to give it away a little bit early, but there's a part of the universe that I don't enjoy as much because it's so like, I don't know, as we get into it, this story is super dark. Just too dark and too disturbing for you. And I mean, I like dark and gritty, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, I enjoy the Marvel TV shows that they've done. Uh, on Netflix, and I enjoy the, uh, I've been enjoying Titans, the TV show that was on DC Universe, which has got some really dark elements to it, you know, um, and I obviously enjoy serious superhero movies, I love the Dark Knight trilogy, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm a huge fan of Batman v Superman, so it's like I have no problems with all that stuff, but there's just something, maybe, maybe it's just the subject matter, yeah, uh, the darkness of where we come from, that's just like, And that it doesn't necessarily seem to resolve in like a, but here's the positive side or, but this kind of situation can be helped and, you know, fixable. Um, It it feels like it just leaves you in a sad place, I guess, is the, the problem. And I do agree on that for sure. I guess I feel like if you're looking at both Unbreakable and uh, Split as being in the same universe, I am getting the overall feeling of maybe what Shyamalan is trying to say is what I said in the last episode, that it's not necessarily such a black and white of these are the good guys and these are the bad guys, that maybe everyone in the world, in the real world even, is a mixture of the two and that your choices ultimately define whether you're good or bad. Well, and, you know, I mean... That'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I guess that leaves us with a a bit of a conundrum of, you know, where we 
leave off here and what they do in glass. So I think that's a good way to put it, though. And that really kind of is the moral of the whole three arc structure that we get with the three movies. I'd be okay with. Mm -hmm. Same here. But, you know, it. yeah, this movie, I mean, we're we're talking about the end, but it just we're it's the flow of the conversation. I think you're absolutely right. This movie, it doesn't even, you know, it's it's not like an Empire Strikes Back effect where you feel like there's some hope right. really at the end. You just feel kind of left with and then <laughs> most of the people died and then, you know, um, sort of Casey exchanges one prison for another that nobody really yeah, has a, yeah. a positive ending. Yeah, ap- no, I think you're right. So um, we we mentioned it right up front. But I think, the, you know, this whole movie hinges on the performance, really, of James McAvoy playing Kevin Wendell Crumb, as well as the 23 other possible personalities. And I don't think we see actual all 23 of them. I think yeah, we see no. represented a lot of them, but not all 23. Uh, he's he's magnificent. I mean, there's there's no other way to put it. I think he's just phenomenal in this role and the way that he pulls off the structure of each of these uh, characters and makes them so different and can even, I feel like he can kind of like flip on a dime to play one or the other at any moment. And and it's just, it's really, it's disconcerting in some (laughs) ways. Um, And it's creepy, uh, super creepy in many ways. So, I mean, he does his job perfectly in this movie. I absolutely agree. I think that he was the star. I think that he kind of had to be because of the kind of character he was playing. That Otherwise, it would take too much of the spotlight away from him and all of the different sort of roles he's playing. Um, but I, I do think he does such a great job of being able to flip between them. And we, I counted we actually see six, uh, even though they mentioned 23 and then the Beast being the 24th. Um, we see... Dennis, who is the obsessive compulsive sexual predator, um, Miss Patricia, who is uh, also a seemingly obsessive compulsive and very calm and well spoken, but very calculating and knows what she's doing. We see Barry, who is sort of the the good guy that's really into fashion um, and that originally was sort of, they said, running the group and then gets taken out of the light by Dennis and Patricia. And then we see Hedwig, who is my favorite and probably the only positive of this movie because it was so freaking funny. Um, The nine-year-old boy with a lisp, (laughs) which just adds to it even more. And then uh, we see the beast, of course, at the very end. And briefly, when all of the personalities are arguing for Kevin's life, we see Jade. But otherwise, we just hear that he has 24. Yeah, and we see we do see some others on the computer when yes. we're kind of watching through. And we see the one who's really into history. Seems like oh, uh, yeah, that Islamic one, history. Maybe that was Orwell. Um, but yeah, um, and yeah, we we do see some others there. But I, I mean, I I didn't completely catch all of their names. But m- mostly, it was just to kind of show. I think the the vast variety of personalities that reside in this person. You know, I mean, you have the fashion nut, you know, who is, I mean, I got the thought possibly that, you know, that personality could be gay Mm -hmm. Um, on top of the, you know, the super obsessive um, Islamic history nut, 
you know, like those those don't seem to necessarily go together completely along with, you know, like you said, the, uh, um, the compulsive disorder of, of, um, Dennis. And I mean, you just, you have all of these characters and I think the variety of them makes it so interesting. And I think it, what also makes it so creepy is the fact that you never know which one he's going to be, you know? So like, there's that moment where he wakes up next to Casey on the and bed. a couple of times that and you're happens, just freaking out, and it's different every time. One yes. time it's Patricia yes. with a sandwich, and then one time it's mm-hmm. uh, was it Dennis that was hugging Casey, or no, it was Hedwig again. Yeah, it's Hedwig. It's almost always Hedwig in those scenes, but it's still super creepy yeah. because you're just not sure. Like especially the one where he's like laying next to her and they're waking up. You don't know. If it is, because you can't really tell from the clothing at that point if it's Hedwood or not. Because, you know, again, the clothing also differentiates the characters, the way they dress, um, and and even the mannerisms. But at that moment, you don't really see any of that because you're kind of seeing it more from her perspective Mm -hmm. and just realizing that he's there. And it's just, it's so, it's so disturbing. I mean, he does such a good job of playing all of these different characters and then of course i mean the 24th character being the beast it's like the culmination of everything that's like the worst about human beings yes you know to be this uber destructive cannibalistic sociopathic thing like (laughs) etc you know like like not even (laughs) human anymore because yeah he's somehow um it we don't know if this is actually possible. Let me go ahead and say that. I mean, it seems pretty ridiculous, but that he's basically through thought changed his own physiology to where he's now got veins popping out. Like he's on steroids. He's got nearly impenetrable skin. He can climb walls and jump really high. It's like he's Spider-Man, but um, also with bulletproof skin. (laughs) And that's the beast. There's a real, I mean, that whole idea, you know, you know, he he kind of thinks it into existence, and it's almost as though parts of those other personalities that believe in him, you know, like Hedwig, Miss Patricia, and Dennis, almost seem to make him a possibility. Right, you know, like, like before he, it was just he needs a, that belief. Right, before it was just a a thought of well, we have to tell Hedwig something to be afraid of so that he won't do stupid things anymore. And then it became so um, mentioned that the two of them then created the beast. I think that's a good point that you made. Well, and and then I think the, the really fascinating part of this is that we learn that these personalities all came from an, from the incidents of him being abused as a child. Mm-hmm. And that Dennis was actually the first one to come out. And it was his obsessive compulsive disorder which kept him out of trouble from his mother because if he kept everything perfect, then she wouldn't get upset and then beat him or whatever. I mean, you don't we don't know exactly the extent, but we get the the, the thought that and we, we kind of see enough to, to see this could go in a thousand different ways of how awful it is. And so, I mean, we we 
we see that this happening is a defense mechanism. And it's interesting because there's a whole sense of uh, that, that this is almost like, is it possible that this is an evolutionary defense mechanism that's also making giving him the possibility to transcend what it means to be human? Which, is that even possible to be more than human at that point? Right. Or even what um, Dr. Fletcher also alluded to was that people with this disorder are not um, broken, but rather gifted individuals and that they're able to access more use of their brain than most of humanity usually can. So I thought that was an interesting way to look at it too. So can you change your own physiology through wishing it so, or, or are you more gifted than the rest of humanity because of this disorder as well? And it, from what I read, at least if you actually look at Psychology Today, um, which is a medical-reviewed um, psychology journal, there was a an article from 2013 that said that dissociative identity disorder, or previously known as multiple personality disorder, um, was renamed because what they originally thought was a growth of many individual persons within a person is actually the fragmentation or splitting, if you will, of one person. So it's not growing into more. It's the one personality becoming more and more split apart. So what you're saying is that he's a horcrux. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's fascinating, though, like that it's. And, and and see, that's the question that I thought was really interesting because the whole idea, more than human, and, and that's what Dr. Fletcher is, is wanting to kind of propose that these people are actually maybe the next step in evolution for us to be, you know, more evolved in the sense that we uh, find a way to be able to use more of our brains through this. Mm-hmm. But what I I got the sense, at least in the movie, was is that... This it it is more of a fracturing. Like this is not a good thing, right? Like, you know, when you say the word fracture, this doesn't that doesn't mean oh oh I fractured my arm. That's great. You know, right. no, it's really bad because your arm is now in more pieces than it is supposed to be, and that it, there was this whole thing in the movie, like the the kind of uh, coddling of Kevin as a character trying to find the benefit of the fractured personalities in him also seemed to be a real detriment at the same time because personalities that he has are extremely dangerous. Right. Like there are very few that are actually functional. Yeah. I just found that really fascinating that this question leads a a, a scientist basically to make a huge mistake. Right. And that she, like you're saying, is naive to what he can do or thinks that anything he did previously is in the past and has improved. Um, Instead, he's still doing things and even getting worse behind the scenes that she's basically ignoring. I mean, the emails were a sign that she's getting more and more of them. And then to the point where it was like, one email every couple minutes for a whole hour um, saying, I need to meet with you. It's urgent. 
and she keeps kind of putting it aside as I was wondering why you emailed me and treating it so normally like she's concerned but not enough and then the news story is going on in the background at the very beginning when she gets the first email from him of the girls that are missing and she seems to kind of halt and listen but doesn't connect the dots at that time and it's not even till she's there in his home in person that she thinks that there's really a serious problem yeah it was a i mean i think you know dr fletcher was a really interesting character and i think that you know it was it was fascinating to watch her as a character because she's so solitary herself like she doesn't really seem to leave the house all that much right and it, it feels like her disconnection and her obs- her own obsession with her research, with her patients, and her calling them her family mm-hmm. has given her almost an associative disorder of projecting onto her patients, which is not allowing to do her job objectively to be able to see the danger that a character like Kevin is to the rest of the world because she wants to prove a point for science. Right. Which, and, and, and she doesn't seem to really have any um, colleagues around her uh, that are working with her in this to kind of keep her in check either. And so it's just this, you know, rogue therapist trying to prove a point, and she's using these uh, patients to do that. And it's actually putting everyone in danger and that's like she starts off as an interesting and sympathetic character but the more you go through you're like oh is is she kind of the real villain here for not seeing what's actually happening because maybe she doesn't really want to see it until it's too late i don't think that she i don't know I don't I don't think of her as the real villain. I wouldn't go that far. But I do love your point that she's kind of blind to what's really going on because she's so invested in her research. And because, like you said, she's looking at her patients like family rather than objectively trying to study them and help the patients. She's more using them to help herself. But unintentionally, I um, I was telling my husband earlier that I, I look at her as sort of the one ray of hope in this story because she wants to see the best in him. And she keeps continuing to encourage him and say, I don't see you as broken and I'm trying to help you and I care about you. Um, and you, you would think that over time that would help a person. But we learned that she's been seeing him for at least 10 years. And that's a long time for him to have only now gotten worse. And I don't know if that's normal, but um, I mean, that seems to me like maybe what she's doing isn't working anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's a really that's a really interesting point, you know, because I, I and I. I think that there. There needs to be a place where we can say something is not good. Mm hmm. You know, like when she says to him, I don't see you as broken. But he is right. You may not want to see it. His personality has been shattered because of uh, something that was done to him. And his 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 psyche has caused this to happen. It's not his fault that it happened. Right. It's it's not his fault at all. So there's a difference between saying fault but that something is also not right. And I think 
that's the thing I really struggled with her as a character in this movie because I feel like we're in that place in just the world in general where we're not willing to call out things that aren't right, you know, like that that aren't actually good for a person. You know, we always Mm want to just kind of try to make everybody feel good about themselves. But there are things about us all that we need to have called out to say, no, that's that's not the best for you. And, you know, therapy is supposed to help us figure out, okay, the places like, you know, the the beautiful scene in uh, Goodwill Hunting, you know, at the very end where he's like, it's not your fault. Mm hmm. It's not your fault. And and it truly is not his fault, right? This is a place where it it's not Kevin's fault that this happened. Mm-hmm. But there is something in him that needs to be made whole because something is broken. And there's a difference there, but we also need to make the, the distinction correct, but we also need to be able to say, no, something is broken and we want to help you fix it. Um, right. And and it, I don't even know if that's possible psychologically because I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> but at least in the movie it's interesting because by not doing that I think it almost it almost seems like it gives Kevin the freedom then to be able to have Dennis and Patricia actually kind of rationalize their behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, they rationalize then the beast into existence because well, no, the the beast is also good, just like we are good, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, she keeps telling them that these personalities are all good when they're not really all good because they're actually harming, they are harming Kevin, and they're harming other people. So yep. it's, it's we, we need to be able to find that balance. And I thought that was something that was really interesting, and that we don't really get in this movie at all any kind of balance there because, you know, even in the end, yeah, you know, she, she's dead, and, uh, well... Um, he's on the loose. And the thing too that I just want to add about him, one more thing that it, I realize now that we're talking through all of our points and everything is that ultimately what Kevin needed was to feel safe. And that probably would have more fixed the issues with having Dennis and Patricia and ultimately the beast at all, because Dennis only came because he felt like he needed to protect himself from something. And that was at the time his mother who was abusing him. So as long as Dennis kept everything sparkling clean in the house, then Kevin would be safe. And then it was Patricia because for some reason he still didn't feel safe enough only having Dennis. And then it just grew or fragmented from there. Um, so I feel like if the therapist, Dr. Fletcher, had worked more to make him feel that he was um, not going to be abused again or, you know, that he was capable of doing things on his own, um, then maybe he would have started to heal more. But that's what I think. No, that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think that we definitely need to talk about the other third character that has the biggest role in this movie, which is Casey. I completely agree. And and as you were speaking, I was thinking to myself, it's interesting because I feel like she's an interest. I feel like she's a mirror to Kevin because they've been through the same experiences, but how they handle it is completely different. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, I guess... Yeah, I would say that they've both been through abuse, but the abuse was different. And I like that they didn't just tell you Casey's story up front. 
um, right. that it's in flashbacks throughout the entire movie. So you're really kind of unsure until you get to um, when she and the beast are standing off. And I think that's right after when they finished the final scene where um, is that when the, the scene was about her father having a heart attack? Yes, yes, and then you and you learn that she's going to have to stay with her uncle who's been abusing her for, you know, since she was 5. Right. You know, it it so, I mean, it's just it's kind of it's awful. And and I I think, you know, she does such a good job of portraying this person who has found ways to deal with this. And in a sense, she has had experience with people who seem to have different personalities. Mm-hmm. Because you I, you get the feeling like her uncle may be that type of person who has more than one personality. Right, because when it's the three of them, her and her dad and her uncle, they seem to be palling around and, you know, just both treat her like she's their daughter. And then it, it really disturbs you when you get to the scene where it's just him and her in the woods. And he says, we're going to play wild animals. And, you know, it it does seem like at that moment that he has some kind of mental illness because, first of all, I think that anybody who um, is in the the category of abusing a child or molesting a child has a serious mental illness and needs help. Um, And so you can tell something's off with that. And then, two, um, the fact that there in the woods and he's like, we're going to play wild animals and um, is saying that, you know, go ahead and take your clothes off. It, it just adds even more to it, the disturbing nature. And you feel for her because she's only what, five years old and feels like she doesn't have a choice or she's going to get in trouble if she doesn't follow through with it. And that's what I think is even more sad about it. Yeah, you get this sense that this has happened before when you see this, mm-hmm. you know, and that it's happening again. And there is a, there is a, you always have this slightly uneasy feeling about him and then it's finally revealed and it's just awful. And, you know, I think that both of the girls who play Casey are fantastic. The, the Oh, yeah. Izzy Coffey, who plays the five-year-old Casey, is wonderful. And then Anya Taylor-Joy, who plays Casey as, you know, the young teen, is also excellent. And just the way that she is able to play the different characters, uh, you know, in the sense of, like, she's playing Kevin's different personalities, you know, and, and finding the, the the points at which she can try and get what it is that she wants out of them by finding out what makes them tick and that she's really good at that. Um, I thought was really interesting. And I think that the actress does such a good job of portraying every emotion that she, she needs to in it and, and, and portraying the character in a way that you just immediately kind of sympathize with her because there's that moment at the very beginning when they've been captured and the other two girls are trying to convince her, you know, that we need to attack him. We need to try to get out. And she's like, no. And you're like, what? Okay. It's interesting. There's something going on here. And as she continues to kind of have her story unfurled, it makes so much sense. And I, there's such a continuity between her and the five-year-old her 
and the way the story plays out, I think it's just done fantastically. And I mm-hmm. I really like this actress, and I I haven't looked up to see what else she's in, but I think you know I'm surprised I don't know her name more because I think she was phenomenal in this role. And, you know, at the beginning of the movie, it felt to me that she, I I was worried maybe the actress was the reason that the character felt really bland to me at first. But then you realize as you get to know her and her motivations or lack thereof, there's a reason why she's being played that way that it's that it's not bad acting or or, um, a blandness or anything it's that the character of Casey has been through so much that she's scarred and she's also still having to live with that every day with this person that treats her like that so I love when she has that moment with Hedwig where she's actually brutally honest and says sometimes I get detention because I just want to be left alone and you're going mind blown because yeah that's the only time that she has to even have some semblance of herself where she's not being abused or manipulated by someone else and can do whatever she wants (laughs) you know i mean not whatever because it's detention but you know something other than just being manipulated and um it's amazing like you're saying how she immediately sees what makes the personalities differently tick and uses that when, I mean, the three girls are talking and um, she tells um, Claire, not Claire, I'm sorry, Marsha, um, when she sees that Dennis is going to take her, that he's OCD, she immediately says, pee on yourself. Because she knows that that thing in particular is going to piss him off <laughs> because he's such a neat freak. He'll immediately go, ah, she's disgusting. She's unclean. <laughs> and back away and then that was when you know they seemingly at least for the time being avoided being abused um physically anyway and and it's so funny when he comes in later with the bucket and tells them to clean the bathroom and which color product is for what part of the bathroom um i thought was kind of funny and then later when she sees that she can manipulate hedwig by treating him like a peer and saying, no, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not trying to convince you into anything when she really is it. She's just brilliant at knowing what's going to get somewhere with each one. I don't know about you, but I felt like one of the most uncomfortable parts of this whole movie was the way parts of it were funny. And it just made me so uncomfortable to be laughing at anything in this situation that we're in. Right, that there's so much bad and so much dark that you feel like you shouldn't be. Yeah. But I think that you needed that. Because, I mean, I don't know how else you would get through the movie if there wasn't any kind of positivity or or laughable moment. But then I think, too, um, obviously, completely separate from the the abuse parts and things like that, I think that um, there's at least to me as a, as a person I look at, there's always something to look at the bright side of, even if it's not a good situation. Um, I mean, it depends on what it is, but I, I think that um, Kevin is going through so much that there has to be these moments, I guess, of release for him as a character to be able to have some fun 
and it totally throws you for a loop when Hedwig is dancing to Kanye in his room. But I feel like if you didn't have that, then his whole life is just sad. Yeah, no, I think I think uh, you're absolutely right that there there's a sense where you need some sort of release in this movie. Otherwise, it would be so dark. It would be hard to take. Mm-hmm. Because this is another thing that I think really, because it's such a pivotal part of the story, the abuse for Kevin and the abuse for Casey and the abuse of Casey and Marsha and Claire, it's a very depressing movie in the end. Mm -hmm. And the abuse and the trauma, I mean, I was was talking to my wife and I was saying, it's, uh, this is not a movie that I, I... I can say I really like a lot because of the subject matter of it. Like it's interesting and everything, but I can't say that I love it or anything because I just, I can't love a movie about abuse of children. Right. And I like nobody should really, I don't know. It it made it a very, especially by the end, the the abuse and the trauma of it, it made it a, it almost made it kind of a traumatic experience to watch. Right. Because I mean, you, you sort of feel like you can, empathize for what these kids have been through that wasn't their fault that they were just victims of that you you feel so much sadness for them that you're like I don't want to experience that again and I feel so awful that they you know proverbially experienced any of that so I I get that completely um but I I I was glad at least for the moments that we had Hedwig and for the sort of dark humor of some of the things that Dennis or Patricia do um, and even Barry that you're kind of surprised to see um, in the the first session with the therapist that he's really into fashion and you know he's very up on all the hottest styles this year (laughs) I mean and and that definitely I mean the humor versus the abuse and the trauma I think make this a just an interesting movie because there are parts of the film that are just like you are just laughing because of the portrayal that you know James McAvoy especially the first time you meet Patricia mm-hmm. you know it's just like it's so out there and you're just you can't help but laugh because it's just so weird like the, right it, there's no other way to put it it's just weird um, the, the, because you've seen these other personalities that he's done and then you have this one and it's just like, it kind of, it is, it's just wacky. And I love that that's how they even introduce you to him having dissociative identity disorder, that the girls are looking through the keyhole and thinking they see a lady and they're yelling for help. And it's just him in a different costume. <laughs> and your heart just sinks. And it's him having a conversation with another version of him. Like right. they're like, which is so. I mean, again, that's one of the places where it's it's really really well done, and I think it it really makes sense. Uh, like just the, the the great acting job that we get here from James McAvoy to be able to do both of those parts pretty much at the same time. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, I did want to add that the the other thing that I read about um the condition of DID is that it it's technically a real diagnosis. But um, the cases that have been seen, um, they lean more toward thinking that through the power of suggestion by the therapist that the patient came to think they had DID rather than them definitely having it 
before ever seeing a therapist. So there's not really a lot of like well-documented cases of for sure DID in the real world, which is interesting. But they're saying that the people that they have thought probably had it um, or had these multiple personalities were definite um, experiences of severe abuse, usually during childhood, and um, had a lot of anxiety and um, possible suicide attempts, that it really, when it has been diagnosed, it's been very rare and very severe, but that there weren't as many personalities as 24. That basically, I I guess that's a good thing. Yeah, this is really exaggerated, but, but it is out there, but very, very few. What, so we, I mean, we talked about it kind of up front. Uh, what did you end up thinking of the cameo? I thought it was kind of, it seemed like an afterthought to me. I I liked that his character got to come into the movie at all. Um, and that there's some way, in some way, trying to tie Unbreakable together with um, Split and put them in the same universe. But it they feel so different to me mm-hmm. that it felt like, where do we throw him in? Oh, I guess here at the end. How did it feel to you? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think I'm kind of there with you. It, it, I don't know if if it really, it does feel like a bit of an afterthought in some ways, and and I'm sure people, you know, yell at us on Twitter or whatever. <laughs> but I mean, I get the fact that, and in, in I thought that you know, as we talked at the very beginning, this is something Shyamalan had. At the very beginning of Unbreakable, Kevin was a part of the script and he took it out and he, you know, so this is something that's been in his brain for a long time. I I almost feel that if you wanted them to really have this merged universe, I would have enjoyed then if David Dunn was a more part of this movie in maybe the last third of it or something. Mm-hmm. I think that might have helped. But, you know, I, I guess... It also doesn't help that it was ruined for me either, maybe. Yeah, I hate that Um, for you. I'm sorry. I I, I feel like this was the surprise kind of like, you know, the end of The Sixth Sense where you're like, he's dead. You know, if you went into this not knowing at all and you were just, you know, you'd seen Unbreakable and then you're like, oh my gosh, they're in the same universe. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, like I can see where that happened, but maybe and maybe that's just a case where it got ruined for me and it literally is just ruined. There's nothing you can do about it. And that it was more lackluster for you because you already knew he was going to be there at some point. Yeah. 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 I'll say even though it wasn't ruined for me, um, that it still felt like lackluster for me, too, that just because it seemed like. It, he didn't really have a big part that he didn't have anything to do other than come in to say, yeah, like Mr. Glass. Um, it, I kind of wish, like you said, that maybe in the scene where Dr. Fletcher realizes that the girls are there, that she calls David and he comes to help. That would have been maybe a good way to use him without conflicting too much with James McAvoy and the rest of the story, um, but giving it some kind of positive ending. Um, Because, you know, the way that we left it with him in Unbreakable was that he was this 
silent hero that he didn't want the recognition that he didn't want to be known as super um but he does like knowing that he's doing good things um in spite of the bad people in the world so maybe he could have saved the girls from dying yeah i mean so um i think and and you know Far be it for me to say I'm a, I'm a better writer than M. Night Shyamalan. He has more hit movies than I'll ever have. Eh, maybe not. But, you know, what if... I, I feel like the, the cameo could have been a little bit better if... What if David Dunn was actually a, a uh, patient of Dr. Fletcher ah. and he went to his appointment and she wasn't there, you know, because she likes to deal with people who have, you know abilities or think they have abilities i thought that that could have been an interesting crossover and then yeah he shows up at the very very end um so i don't know i just i feel like there could have been something there to make it a little bit more meaningful Mm -hmm. but you know i'm i'm sure though too i'm 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 really am thinking that it just because the fact that it's ruined it ruins something for me Mm -hmm. and you know, it, we know that, you know, it's all going to come together now in glass. So it should be interesting for both of us to go into that one and, you know, see what happens. So I guess, uh, I don't know, I, I'm kind of where we are. What, what do you think about rating this one? Where did you end up coming down after seeing it? That was really hard this time because it, I had to think of it in the sense of dividing it from itself of whether or not it was a good movie versus whether or not I liked the subject matter. And I feel like the two are different scores. So if I had to choose on a scale of one to 10, whether or not I thought it was a good movie, I thought it was a fantastic plot um, as far as how things were revealed to you, what, kind of trauma the characters had been through i feel like it was meaningful in the sense of um right now more and more we're talking about mental illness in society and how it's a real problem there's no one's fault and that needs more recognition and help um and i i do have to say that i feel like though at the end of the day because of the subject matter just like you that it made me uncomfortable and that it wouldn't necessarily be a movie. I would sit down tomorrow and go, you know, I, I'd feel like watching Split again. <laughs> I think um, probably once was enough. And I will remember it for a very long time because of how creepy it was. So I guess if I had to combine the two, I would say my score would be like a five just because I didn't really enjoy it. That it, you know... It was too uncomfortable. I've seen it. I can say that I've seen it. And it, it was well put together, but it, it made me ultimately really sad. And I think for that reason, I wouldn't rewatch it. Yeah, I, this was a, a really interesting one for me because I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I, the subject matter just made this a very difficult movie to watch. And uh, I think for the most part, it's a really well put together movie. I think, like you said, the reveals are all done well, except for the reveal that was ruined. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the unfolding of the story is is done well. You know, when you're 
continuing learning more about, you know, both of these characters in, in the end, really, you're learning about Casey and you're learning about Kevin and that that's being unwrapped for you as you watch. And I think it's all done masterfully in that sense. But I don't think you can divorce a movie enough from its subject matter and and it's the way it's made. Um, and so because I'm right there with you, the subject matter, you know, I guess if our if I'm doing out of ten, it's it's probably six and a half out of ten. Like I think it's and and all of that six and a half have to do with the acting and how good I think the movie is as a movie. Mm-hmm. But the other parts of it, I just I'm like you. I don't ever want to see this movie again. Yeah, I, I really don't. I like I I I don't think I will ever watch this movie again because I don't want I don't enjoy being sub objected to that subject matter um it's it's not subject matter that i i want to have much to do with you know mm-hmm. other than making sure we continue to do our best to stop it in all places and times um exactly and so yeah this it it's a it's a well done movie but it's it's not a movie that i ever want to revisit which is kind of it it almost it's like I'd be more likely to watch Schindler's List than I would this one. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it's it but it seems like that same kind of film, you know, where it's just like there's such a there's a subject matter with such depth and emotion and just just raw power for what we're talking about that it makes it very very uncomfortable to watch. And I do have to add to that uh, uh there's only one other movie that I've seen that I couldn't get through because it was this level of disturbing because I think ultimately, at least you and I, and I feel like most people, there's a certain line you don't cross when, whether it comes to movies or just like subject matter that you want to think about. There are certain things that are too disturbing, too upsetting that, you know, are bad and wrong that you don't want to think about. And for example, cannibalism is one of them. Even if it has happened and people were on bath salts or mentally ill or whatever, it it's still terrifying that that could be possible. And so we don't want to think about it. And the, the fact that that's in this movie, I think, is a big part of it. And also the abuse. Um, and and the other movie that I saw that was too disturbing and I thought crossed the line was AVP Requiem. It is a terrible movie and it crosses the line of things that I don't want to think about. Don't watch the movie unless you want to torture yourself. So it, that, I, I feel like, is the reason for the negative score we both had. I just felt like I needed to explain that. No, I, I mean, I, I think absolutely. It's, it's you know, this is a movie that we both, I think, we feel is really well made. Um, and the acting is excellent in it. And all that together is is good. But it just, it's, it, it's not a movie we want to continue to 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 think about or talk about or any you know yep. so um yeah uh you know it, it was really interesting talking about this one together you know and and I, I you know we'll be talking about glass and we're actually doing it in a couple weeks so everybody has time to go see it in the theater um and next week we've got a really fun special episode for you um you know, christy's letting her husband pitch it for her as he comes in uh with uh, another friend of ours to talk about uh Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which has been huge. And if you haven't seen it, go see it so you can listen to the show. I think we're going to have a blast talking about that one. 
But I um, want to really thank everybody for listening and for tuning in to the show uh, here this week. And of course, remind you that uh, we have some amazing associate producers here on the show. We have Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Daniel, Noah, and Ryan Millette. And they all support the show here through Patreon and have chosen the 602 Club to be their place put their stamp as associate producers. Really appreciate that. Great guys. And they help the show keep coming to you each and every week. And not only this show, but they also help all the shows here on the Trek FM network keep coming to you. Uh, It's a massive network. And we just don't have uh, what we need as uh, hosts here to put this on by ourselves. We need your help. Uh, Patreon.com is a place where you can support us each and every month to make sure all the shows we do keep coming to you each and every week. And we have so many shows keep coming out each and every week. And they keep announcing more Star Trek shows that are going to be coming out so that you know we're going to be adding those to the network. So if you like what we do here on Trek FM, go to patreon.com slash trekfm. See how you can become part of the team. We have many different contribution levels you can give at. You get different perks at. But honestly, every little bit helps. So again, go to patreon.com slash trekfm. And support us each and every month. Uh, Christy, man, I'm loving having you here as the co-host. You know, maybe not our favorite episode, but I think we had a fantastic conversation about the movie. And so I'm interested to see what everybody else thinks. But um, if anybody was want to catch up with you, where can they find you online? So you can catch up with me and talk about this movie and Unbreakable and all the other stuff that we've talked about on 602 at Bespin Bell uh, on Instagram and Twitter. And then I'm also on the Babel Conference, of course. And you can catch me on uh, some other shows. Um, my friend's show on the Star Wars Report. I'm on their uh, podcast and website sometimes. Um, and you can also find me um on Facebook, like I said, uh, if you want to talk more about the movies. Um, and then hopefully at some point I'll be having another show coming out with my friend Teresa Delgado sometime this year, but we're on hiatus right now from Galactic Fashion. Well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Tumblr and Letterboxd, all under the name Matt Rushing 2 You can find me here on the network doing the orb. Chris Jones and I hope to be back uh, doing some more new episodes for you guys. We're working hard on it, so stay tuned. You can also find me on the Nerd Party Network doing two shows there. I do Outpost with Drea Kaufman, where we talk about Harry Potter each and every week. And we do that one chapter at a time. It's a lot of fun. And you can also find me doing Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars each and every week. I love doing that podcast with John. It's so much fun. If you like Star Wars, this truly is the place for you. So I hope that you will check it out. And then, uh, last but not least, you can find me doing a show called Cinema Stories with my good friend Courtney. And that's where we talk all about film through the lens of faith. And that is coming back this year. We're really excited to be back. And so I hope you'll check that out. But... Thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Woohoo! Woohoo!